Wait for the signal. How the hell can you even tell? Oh. Go! Hello, and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can check us out on the web at NomcastPod.com. This week, we're going to take a look at The Old Guard, which is the latest comic book adaptation from Netflix, something that they have clearly taken an interest in with their previous films, Polar and The Last Days of American Crime, and now this film, all coming out in the last two years. Uh, as opposed to the other two films, which were more shoot 'em up crime stories, The Old Guard dives into something more supernatural in nature with the complex gift of immortality. The movie centers around a small band of immortal mercenaries that have protected us in the mortal world for centuries. But when the team's abilities are exposed during an emergency mission, it's up to their leader, Andy, and newest member, Niall, to eliminate the threat of those who seek to replicate and monetize their power by any means. Their impressive cast includes Charlize Theron, who is also a producer on the film, Kiki Lane from If Beale Street Could Talk, and Chiwetel Ejiofor from 12 Years a Slave and Doctor Strange. The film is directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, whose 25-year career includes Love and Basketball and Secret Life of Bees. And of course, the film is written by Greg Rucka, who is actually the writer-creator of the graphic novel the film is based on. He's an executive producer on the film as well. With me this week is a big-time fan of Greg Rucka's work and an excellent comic book writer in his own right. My good friend Travis Holyfield is back on the show. Be sure to go to travismholyfield.com and check out all of his awesome comic books that he has created over the years, which can also be purchased on Comixology right this very moment. So absolutely do that. Also, when you have a moment, please rate and subscribe to this podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to pods. All right, let's get to it. Here it is, The Old Guard with the always entertaining Travis Holyfield. Give a listen. Mr. Travis Holyfield, thank you so much for doing this with me. Uh, it's always a blast to have you on. My God, sir, thank you for for having me on and for letting me do this, because I had so much fucking fun with this film. <laughs> like I know. I, 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 listen, I, I'm I'm excited to to have this conversation. Uh, you know, I hope that my level of excitement for the film uh, is enough for you. We'll oh, no, 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 it's, it's not like that. Like, part of this <laughs> part of this for me is that um, I'm actually a little nervous about doing this because, like, I've, I've, this is the fourth time I've done the show. This yeah. is the first movie that I have not only liked, but, like, unabashedly liked, nay, loved. Um, right. And it's, almost easier doing this shit like when it was polar i had a lot of mean things to say about that movie <laughs> but i'm like i'm like sitting there watching this and i'm like i don't know what to say about this except this is fucking dope like i don't, I don't know what to do except say like how much i'm enjoying it so well well here let's start with this especially talking to uh, a comic book writer and comic book fan of course uh, you you have your own 
uh, stacks upon stacks that I've seen in your room uh, being in your apartment before. Uh, the the level of awfulness that Netflix has produced in terms of comic book films made me so cringy to watch this movie. Obviously, you mentioned Polar, which was based on a graphic novel. They just released The Last Days of American Crime, which came out uh, a couple weeks back, and that was on par with how bad Polar was. Ooch. So if you haven't seen it, it's it's not as cartoonishly bad as Polar. Obviously yeah, because Polar is really cartoonishly bad. Yeah. Uh, this one was trying to be take something serious but also being bad so there's different levels which sometimes that's more obnoxious because you could see the potential and then it goes nowhere yeah Uh, but but, you know i do want to give credit where credit is due though because for every movie adaptation of a graphic novel or comic book that netflix has completely screwed the pooch on their tv work has been unimpeachable um, like oh, not just yeah. the Marvel stuff and, and, you know, the Marvel stuff is kind of highs and lows in terms of, uh, of objective quality, I think, but, um, things like Umbrella Academy, which, um, I'm rewatching the first season now in anticipation of the second season dropping. That's a fucking amazing series. The lock and key adaptation that they have is mind bogglingly good. Um, just like the kind of thing that, that you just hope for. Um, in seeing something that you really love as a property be adapted. So, like, Netflix has got the juice to do this stuff and do it right. It's just, you know, like anything else, how do these how do these creative decisions kind of go south or, or go whatever directions they go in? I mean, honestly, you can even add in, like, Sabrina, for fuck's sake. Uh, Sabrina, the, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, uh, that recently, I believe, just got... Uh, canceled. Uh, yep. So yeah, well, fourth, for them, but they well, have yeah, I mean, considering what it was. Yeah, and they're gonna have they're gonna have their fourth season. And you know, having watched it, I I don't know how much more they really have to say about this. Yeah, I mean, Netflix has currently started to adopt the uh, the British model, where like it's three or four seasons max, and you're out, which I'm totally fine with. I mean, usually these shows start to lag post you know x amount of seasons, unless you have a huge hit on your hands. It's usually kind of a waste of time. You know, there always hits a point of diminishing returns, I think. Like, there's, it's always kind of the thing where you'd like to step away from the table before you're grotesquely full. So uh, right. <laughs> I, I always I always salute it. Like, don't get me wrong, I think it's a drag that we're not going to get more seasons of Daredevil, but also, what could you do necessarily? Like, like they've really done an amazing job. Do you have it keep going to the point where it's like, well, now I wish they fucking would end the show? Yeah. I think definitely the hardest one to deal with was the Punisher, you know, exit because that was still early on enough that I I wanted more and I think it had more juice for sure. But that that's one where I would say like, hey Netflix, like, or hey whoever, like I don't really know where the rights land with that, but that's like they they really should just roll him and and roll Charlie Cox into the the film universe. Yeah, there's been so many of those conversations just to try to make that happen, um, but I'm not quite sure what they're going to do. I mean, I can't have, imagine it's a thing that you can do with the rights and the, the this and that back and forth. Yeah, it's wild. I don't even know if that's going to have a second life. Uh, it might be years before we see that land on, say, Disney Plus or you know 
Hulu or something oh, that yeah. Disney owns to get to be on. But yikes, it would be really terrible to kind of let that just go in the ether. So outside of that, though, I totally agree that they they have landed really well on TV. But as far as the movie property goes, they are still kind of like getting their feet you know settled here as far as trying to make a good property in in the movie realm and i think you know because you were saying like i don't know how these things shake out how the how things get made uh you know the conversation i've listened to enough podcasts and interviews by this point to really get the full shake on this one yeah you're your kid showbiz here like you're gonna you're gonna be able to tell me what's up Sit me down and shut yeah. me down. Well, here's the beauty, and I know this is going to check off a lot of boxes for you. Considering the fact that you already love the film, I think you're going to get really jazzed uh, on some of these key metrics. So, number one, Skydance, the production company who made this film, instantly was like, we have this property. We think the best thing for it is that we need a female director because we need to tell a proper story for a female-led comic book we need to have uh rucka involved more like you know the fact that i i I don't know how you feel about this as a comic book writer but it is wild how rare it is for a comic book writer to be trusted with the screenplay of the film adaptation of their own property like it's super rare and this one greg rucka is the sole writer yes uh you know it's his property and it's his adaptation it's his screenplay that is insane and obviously executive producer on it as well i so, think at this point though Gruc- um, rucka's got the kind of track record where you know that he's going to stick the landing with this you know he's He's got such a great track record of material. Like Stumptown is doing really well as a show right now. Yeah, Whiteout was a pretty successful movie. Like he's and he's been, I think, in a position of having his properties and his work in the Hollywood system. I'm air quoting here because I feel like a fucking asshole saying it like this. I just think the guy knows like <laughs> how to get shit done, and he's proven that he can do it the right way. So you know, he I think had the juice. To, to have have these people invest this trust yeah and it and it's gonna continue because he uh lazarus uh, property of his is being made into a tv series right now and queen and country uh another property he has uh has a pilot starting at fox right now so he might have a bunch of stuff all going through and like you said uh you know yeah. he's a an excellent writer five-time eisner winner you know known for the batman stuff but obviously a lot of his originals are starting to really get a lot of tread now uh, and becoming a bigger thing so and i i uh i peed next to him uh at uh, wizard world boston in 2005 see this is the type of news that you just don't get anywhere else no no really this is uh this is an exclusive here folks because <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, have you read the comic? Because I'm a fucking asshole and I love Greg Rucka's work, but this is one that I just completely snoozed on. Just for some reason, completely escaped my radar. So I'm thinking like, no, I'm going to have to own up. Like, no, I haven't read this one yet. Uh, but I did pee next to Rucka at a men's room one time uh, at a con. It's the same con where Eliza Dushku bumped, uh, bummed a cigarette off my wife. Nice. Oh, yeah. This is... This is huge stuff, man. I'm 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 grateful for the exclusives. So, 
<laughs> so Rucka, you know, obviously coming into his own and and really getting hitting his stride. They they get him involved. Uh, the director, you know, when I first saw who the director was, I was very confused. It's an interesting choice, right? It's a very really interesting, interesting choice. I mean, all the I would say like she's got one episode of uh, Cloak and Dagger that she's directed, but I'm looking Correct. at like Love and Basketball is not really an action movie kind of like it's it's just interesting to see. Yeah, it's it's an interesting choice, but I'm fucking happy they made the choice they made. Yeah, and I mean Secret Life of Bees isn't exactly going to make you lean into the uh, action genre. Uh, at all either well, there is but, that one sustained part in secret life of bees where the bees just fucking murder everybody with guns <laughs> yeah if you thought the wicker man was tough with a uh, bee scenes secret life of bees just kicks it up absolutely notches. in terms of tor- bee torture it's the bee movie secret life of bees <laughs> wicker man exactly <laughs> Nick Cage was needed in those other two problems. I'm really so. glad I got to make a B movie burn tonight. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't come here, but you know, didn't come here to do it. But happy it happened. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, she is the first uh, black director of a live action superhero movie or live action comic book movie. I guess. Full yeah, stop. it's incredible. It's everything. F- yeah, it's everything it's, being this early, and and the interesting thing is that. Skydance, the production company that had the property, was so forward-thinking about it that they actually appreciated not only the fact that she's made quality films in her past, she's been a director for 25 years, uh, but the fact that they took the appeal of Love and Basketball being not obviously an action property, but a sports property Mm. where uh, the female basketball played in that film is legit. And the fact that they made, you know, quality work, uh, or that she has quality work of some kind of female action property, even yeah. though it's in a drama, it actually both of those combined, they said, sold them on on her as a director. It made her more appealing. So it's interesting to have them think outside of the box here. It, it's because, vision. It's absolutely vision. I think because yeah, and, it and, oh, pays off across the board, as far as I'm concerned. And it helps that once you get, before they even had her sign on, the big get here is that Charlize Theron and her Denver and Delilah company, uh, you know, had signed on to produce the film as well. Charlize has done an amazing job of becoming uh, this big time producer with her production company. I mean, she started doing it in uh, 2003 with Monster, where she won the Oscar for that. Yep. Uh, a lot of the the Reitman films, you know, Young Adult and Tully are under the production brand. Bombshell just last year was on that. And Atomic Blonde, which they're talking to Netflix about a sequel to Atomic Blonde being on their platform as well. So there's and a lot going on. That f- is fucking awesome because uh, that is based on a, a graphic novel series by Anthony Johnston, who is a singularly fucking rad and awesome dude um, who I've had the pleasure of meeting once or twice and just a really fucking great writer and really, really cool guy. And it's, again, like you want to talk about, it's, you know, the right people getting opportunities and stuff clicking for folks. Definitely that's a case. Also, that movie movie is fucking fantastic, too. Yeah, and and 
not to spoil anything else going forward, I think this is a better film than Atomic Blonde. And one of the things that... I agree. Yeah. One of the Netflix uh, things that's going on right now, and I don't know if it was a conscious decision going forward or whether it was this has been coming uh, or not, but and maybe they failed at it previously, but I can't really see any properties where maybe this was the case. The last three major, including this one, the last three major action titles that they've had all have had endings that present a cliffhanger to have a sequel from the get. So this property, as well as Extraction and Six Underground, all speak to franchising. And and it's interesting. This one obviously makes a lot of sense if you're basing it on... You know, obviously, the fact that it's a comic book property, it has multiple books, it has a vision for the future with it, so you can really sign on for that. The fact that now they're trying to to find their version of probably like a Fast and the Furious franchise. Oh, mm. by the way, Charlize happens to be in that too, and kicking ass. So God, you know. I fucking love her, man. I I love her so fucking much. She is like. Even in, even when she's in a movie that's not a good movie, she's fucking awesome in it. Unbelievable. And, and it, to me, the first real example that I can remember of that is Devil's Advocate, where and so early on, yep. where you can tell that the, the main guys are kind of doing a stage play and mildly phoning it in, and she is trying to hit a goddamn home run she every is, time yeah. she's on screen. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. Couldn't have said it better. Now, back then, obviously, she's trying to, you know, prove something. Still, you know, she she wanted to. This was pre-Oscar moment, pre, yeah. you know, and and coming off her background as a model and trying to still be taken seriously. That her arc is so fascinating to me. Jesus, because yeah. To overcome, especially at that time in Hollywood, to be a model turned actress and to be taken seriously and to move into Oscar territory is yeah. amazing. When and I also, also I also like that she's one of those actresses that moved into Oscar territory and then wasn't like, no, your action-y shit is beneath me. No, she fucking jumped right back into that shit with both feet and has been making some of my favorite movies like ever since. Yeah, and I mean, she credits that to Keanu, which they have a past history of working together uh, so and they're close, and she, she's actually been asked a lot in interviews lately. Like, are we gonna get like a movie where the two of them have to like go in combat? And I want that so bad. <laughs> oh my so god! Dope. If she's <laughs> no, I could, like, like a, a John fucking Wick villain. Oh how about god. yeah? Like how about like a John Wick Atomic Blonde crossover? Yeah, I mean that would be absolutely amazing. So fuck it, make it happen. <laughs> I mean, shit, at this point, it's only a matter of time before Keanu Reeves ends up in a Fast and the Furious movie. And at the rate that they go with recycling their villains into main cast, it'll yeah. probably be like, like. Well, now <laughs> that they're talking about Fast and the Furious finally taking it the next level to go into space in one of the sequels. Easily, I could see Keanu either being on the astronaut or alien level, so I'm totally for it. <laughs> so, okay. wait a minute. Okay, yeah. astronaut yeah. or alien level? Wasn't Charlize in that movie with? Was it her and Johnny Depp? The astronaut's wife. Astronaut's wife. Was that? Was it her in that one? Yeah, I believe so. Fuck, that's a deep pull, man. <laughs> 
Yeah, that movie's trash. I need you to, uh, I need you to understand. I need you to understand my my drug regimen and what a deep pull that was that I managed to latch onto that flick. I, I'm proud of you. Thanks, I'm brother. Constantly amazed by you. Hey, uh, so, uh, me too. <laughs> so, like I said, I think that all the stories that I heard, you know, between. Charlize as a producer, her production company, and their vision, the the way they're really good at developing scripts and the enthusiasm they have for developing it the right way, the 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 Rucka heavy influence in terms of the script and being <clears throat> a producer head, and then getting the right director as far, instead of just being like, they easily could have said, yeah, we want a female director, but we just want somebody because we feel like throw a dart you know, at the board. Yeah, yeah. No, instead they get someone with an incredible background, a diverse enough background that leads to you know making sense once you see the tone of this film and her true stamp on mm-hmm. this film. I think it makes a lot of sense. And then obviously Charlize, like we mentioned, is kicking ass all over the place. So yeah. it, it, you trust. You now trust, which is amazing considering uh, post-Eon Flux, you wouldn't have thought that you know maybe she would have gotten the reins of something like that. Uh, you know, even though again she's good, the film is not good. So yeah, you know, but I'll, as she's made mention, and I'm sure you can definitely agree with this that she thought that after Eon Flux, and you saw it, you saw it happen. If if say your Van Dam or your or you're Bruce Willis or something, and you make a bad action movie. You can make another bad action movie the next year or two. You won't get sidelined. You like, but for a female-led action movie, they think it's so risky, especially back then. Yeah, exactly, that- exactly. If it's like to have one that doesn't hit it out of the park, and then to be able to still come back is pretty momentous. Yeah. So the the distance between Eon Flux. And Mad Max Fury Road is like 10 years. So, you know, she had to wait a long time. And now it seems like every other movie, she's like in some, you know, comedy, like, you know, studio comedy or like mid-level drama, you know, trying to go for Oscars and then goes right back to doing an action franchise and then goes back and then goes back. And it's it's the one for me, one for them kind of mentality. And it's fucking working. So. Yeah. Like, like there's a reason why that's kind of a, a Hollywood cliche, and it's because it tends to work, I guess, you know? It tends to be the yeah. way to have a, a pretty successful career. Yeah. And then they, they obviously didn't mess around with the, the cast here as well. I mean, beyond Charlize, I mean, you bring in uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, you know, from 12 Years a Slave, being an Oscar-nominated thing in there, has the comic book background for Doctor Strange's Mordo, uh, and then has a relationship with Netflix uh, with the boy who harnessed the wind. So, you know, you get every little bit of the puzzle pieces to get him on board. Uh, I'm real then- glad, by the way, that you're the one that said his name because I fuck <laughs> it up. I, I, I have, don't think I've pronounced that poor SOB's name the same way twice. I just want you to know that I literally Googled how to pronounce his name and they have a video online of somebody telling me how to pronounce his name it is wonderful the internet saves so much embarrassment but i'm at proud least I of had you the forethought instead of yeah being like oh yeah no i got this <laughs> no no i do not got this uh and there's a bunch of names like this by the way oh yeah yeah because the other ones i did not 
put that level of effort in. So if I if I start tripping over uh, Matthias Schoenarts or uh, you know who played Schoenarts, yeah, I think you had it. Schoenarts, yeah, okay, yeah, Marwan Kinzari, Luca Marinelli. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, you know, know what? So. The, like, this was one of the things that kind of I thought was also awesome about this movie. Um, like, I'm a trash person in general, so I really don't consume much uh, higher higher level culture. Like, most of what I do is real dumb, dumb stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> so, like, going into this, um, the only two people I had any passing familiarity with in terms of their work were Charlize and the aforementioned... Um, Chiwetel Ojafor? That dude, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Mr. That guy, um, who I fucking love, by the way, but I just I can't figure out the guy's name. I feel like an asshole. Um, those are the only two people that I had any acquaintance with because I still haven't seen If Beale Street Could Talk. I still haven't seen any of this shit that Kiki Lane is in, and right. now I have, to, I have to fucking run, don't walk, because she is goddamn amazing. And also, I just read a thing with her in Rolling Stone where she wants to play Storm. And, uh, oh, really? That would be fucking dope. Um, well, I mean, I hope the only reason why she wouldn't is because she's going to take this somewhere. I mean, I, the one you thing can I have two say, franchises. You can have oh, for, for sure. <laughs> but I mean, there's so much demand on doing like a large studio action film like that. Yeah. That I, you know, I wonder, you know, if if that can live or whether there'll be delays. I just don't want this to get sidelined. Uh, I'm sure it's already hard enough to get Charlize, you know, pinned down to to do all these films. I don't want it to be uh, something to where it gets backed up. Word. But one and before, because I I will say a lot of nice things. The one thing I thought is that Kiki Lane, while I like her in this, the one thing that concerns me going forward, and I don't know if the portrayal is supposed to seem more, you know, I don't know deer in headlights at times or trying to get their footing uh, as you know because everything's coming at them i don't know i i'm not fully sold on her as taking a franchise forward as being like a lead because charlie's is definitely the lead of this oh 100 if this is supposed to be something to where it's a transition piece based on where this is going so so i will say i get what you're saying i think that she is playing a hundred percent to to type in that the you know despite being a very competent person this is a very competent person that's thrown into a wildly outlandish situation and is expected to adapt to it fairly quickly so all the all the deer in the headlight stuff that you're talking about i think is really appropriate for what we have here, which is an origin story. It's, you know, it's, it's her, it's her fucking crime alley. The rest of, you know, it's structured obviously around Charlize's character, but it serves as this also introduction point for, for, um, Niall, uh, Kiki Lane's character, but it's also the introduction point for us. So, you know, what you have then is you have the kind of hero's journey. So the next movie has, is her becoming more confident in herself, you know, and, and, with the assumption that she's got to take on this role eventually. If Charlie's sunsets after that film, third movie is now her as the leader. It's the completion of her hero's journey. And you've got a great character arc in a three movie, you know, in a three movie uh, trilogy. Well, I guess all yeah, trilogies I, are three movies. I am hoping for that, that we can still see kind of, and obviously the second movie still seems set up for the two of them going forward. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't and, think there's and, any question to that. Yeah. So I, I hope this is a built trilogy. I'll take that. 
Um, Shit, dude, I, 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 if I could get even a sequel with the qu- level of quality that I had here, because, you know, trilogies always seem, especially in the comic book world, like a little bit of a sliding scale. Um, right. Not always true. Like, I think you... you uh, I think, the, obviously, the Thor franchise has proven that to be uh, the exception, really. But, um, right. you know, I always, I always worry a little bit about things kind of getting rote and stale as they go. And, and one of the things I love about this is how fucking fresh and organic and just like it feels so fucking alive because there are big chances in here with um stuff that that is not the traditional comic book audience stuff you know the fact that the fact that it is you know a ton of a ton of uh you know different different characters of different races two very strong female leads um you know, um, a lot of same-sex uh, stuff, like a lot of lot of fluid sexuality, just f- all kinds of like this is the fucking action movie liberals want, basically. <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it, and I fucking loved. I I just loved how you know it's it's a an action movie, but I just really it felt like something I hadn't seen before. And I'll tell you, Jenny didn't know anything really about it going in, except it was Charlize. And watching right. that with her, especially when you go through kind of the opening where they do such a good job of show don't tell mm. in this, like like it you know, they they demonstrate everything you need to know about these characters before really having a single bit of expository text. Yeah. And the the scene, the ambush scene at the very beginning, like I'm like my wife is gasping out loud, like, oh my God. And right. And and I'm sitting there waiting for it because like I know what's gonna happen. She don't know what's gonna happen. You right. know, I at least know the premise of this. And I just thought it was really fucking fresh and f- just also I this is one of the only movies I've ever seen that passes the Bechdel test through punching. Mm. <laughs> there's there's like there's like yeah. a Krav Maga Bechdel test in this movie. Yeah. So fucking dope. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I I mean, I felt bad in a way for Charlize as, you know, if if you go into a film knowing your character has to be not only a, like a martial arts expert or expert in combat, but to be so old as to know every form of combat and then have to prepare for that for months uh sounds unbelievably daunting uh so kudos to her for making it passable and believable uh, that she can do that but that i mean her work ethic is uh you know a known thing yeah. in hollywood that, well, and you can see it obviously I, th- I one of the things i really thought stood out about this movie also was the fight choreography um the guy who did the fight choreography has worked on john wick uh he's worked on uh, uh, like Endgame, um, Birds of Prey, Venom, like all of the Avengers movies, The Fate of the Furious. Right. Like he's a stunt guy and he's done a lot of fight co- uh, coordination. But I really the the fight choreography I thought was fucking brilliant, and no more so than in the um, the Escape from the Lab, where all yeah. five of them are like working together and moving as a unit, and there's not a single kill in that sequence that doesn't start three people back like one guy trips the guy another person punches him in the face he lands and the the fourth person shoots him in the head 27 times it's like i I love that it's oh my god it was so fucking cool like the coordination and teamwork just really you know it helps sell this story of these are people that have literally fought side by side for fucking hundreds hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years 
really just really fucking cool yeah no i totally agree and and it's also beautifully shot uh just a small little uh pat on the back for me i don't know why but i i'm the host so i could do it you say that like you're the one that shot the film no well i'm just saying that uh this is now multiple times where i've worked with somebody on a film and they're in a film that i'm covering so it's kind of fun Um, so i worked on this movie called pieces of april it's come up a few times and uh again i because you bring it up but no no i get it i get it i I i'm not busting very i'm not busting your balls i'm i'm just i'm (laughs) i am i'm pleased for you like this is like feel the warmth coming out of my tone here yeah well a person i worked with you know pretty intimately because i was a, a pa and location pa and an onset kind of like hustler uh that tammy Riker, uh who is the uh, it's weird it's they have two cinematographers on this movie mm-hmm. um but you know to have they had one female one male you know one who's very familiar with uh charlie's as he did bombshell uh and he also has the the netflix tag because he did outlaw king uh and he also has like the 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 background of shooting like this type of stuff with Hurt Locker, Captain Phillips, Jason Bourne. So uh, Barry Aykroyd is the other one. But Tammy Riker uh, was the uh, director of photography on Pieces of April when a movie I worked on, and she is awesome. So right I, I I am happy for her that she is here. I don't know the connection if there is one. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, I do. Uh, she also shot Cloak and Dagger. So oh, fucking uh, I. So, uh, you know, obviously the director uh, did that as well. So it's a beautifully shot movie. The one thing I also wanted to say is that I appreciate uh, (laughs) a comic book movie that actually came in at around two hours. Is that so fucking hard? And it told the story it needed to. It sold a background on multiple characters, told the story it needed to, including flashbacks and everything else. Amazing. Brevity, I agree. The, I agree 100%. The, the flow, I will say it's amazing. like it's like 5 minutes over 2 hours, which is the way that you do know it is a comic book movie. Um because yeah, sure. <laughs> if it's like you've got two scales, you've got 2 hours and over comic book movies and you've got like 90 minutes. Uh right. so like you want to the 90 like that's like the the core woman's uh, fantastic four level. We want to stay away right. from that. But this um, easily could have been a bloated 225 and you're kind of going, yeah, it's a lot of exposition or oh yeah, it's you know, overly explained, or there's t- the action sequences went on too long. This movie no, no, doesn't get in its way. I, you know, in fact, I would even say it leaves you wanting a little bit more. I could have done yeah. with a few more action sequences. Like I, there was, there were things that I actually expected that were almost like rote that did not happen, right. and 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 when they didn't happen, part of me was like. I felt like a fucking idiot because I thought they might. I'm like, you fucking dummy. That would be like the cheesiest shit you could do. That's oh, okay. yeah. The, I, I will say that I I have one gripe with the movie. One gripe. And it's not a gripe. It's just kind of a, oh, kind of a thing. Um, I really could have done without Dudley Dursley. Um, like, uh, Harry Melling, the guy who plays Merrick, was, yeah, oh, I was fucking it. Dudley Dursley. <laughs> um, I, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, it's funny to me on a couple levels. Um, yeah. I just the whole rest of the movie is fairly grounded. Like 
like even the fucking fact that we're dealing with like you know immortal warriors from ancient ancient times you know the fact that we're dealing with that shit it's still fairly grounded he is the only part that felt honestly kind of comic booky like yeah. a little too cartoonishly evil yeah sure. but for the for the tone it's a but that that's like the the lightest of fucking criticisms that i could offer up it's just that I, I could have used a a stronger or more interesting like like i'm trying to think like because it's the whole thing is like oh i'm one of the world's youngest think about somebody like a west bentley or something in that role sure and i think it i think it becomes more menacing and a little bit less eye googly like ooh, i got an axe kind of thing yeah, or a Dillian Murphy uh, would have been interesting. Fucking too, where yes. He has a look to be more menacing and obviously has pulled it, it, it off with Scarecrow in the past. So Yeah, yeah. honestly, you re- I really should have just said it's the Cillian Murphy role. Yeah. <laughs> it totally is. Instead, it almost came off at times uh, kind of closer to uh, the Lex Luthor in the DCU version of kind of like yeah. being this you know, the, the, like uh, pompous young you know ceo type uh where it goes that but what i will say i I, did you watch it more than once i have not i was i i watched it last night and that was the only opportunity i've had yet right so i i've watched it twice now and i a lot of the things you're saying i absolutely said to myself on first watch there were certain things that i said on first watch that on second watch didn't bother me as much so a couple of those things were uh, the definitely him, definitely uh the music, uh the music bothered me a little bit in the film, and I I loved the music. See, it depend when I go back the second time, there is still there's literally only one, and I think it colored me a little bit more the first go round than the second because what was it? I was uh, so I was concentrating on the fight scenes and the call to power scenes so now i understand that the movie is kind of more of a drama at times than it is an action film and Mm -hmm. obviously plays to some of the the strengths uh of the director in that tone but there is one scene in particular that i thought this is the the jump up this is the the call to action this is the the arc that we're looking for with nile and they put such an on the nose corny song in there that i was so disappointed in uh in the so when spoiler obviously uh at the end when she makes i think i know entry exactly into the what you're talking building. about yeah yeah the, she, when she's in the elevator going up Right. So it starts right before she gets in the elevator. It goes up into the elevator. It ca- The song still carries through to her interaction with the security guards. Still keeps going when she goes past the security guards and confronts Merrick. Still keeps going until she's inside uh, the actual laboratory. So and it and, and trying to, you know, be a savior at that point. I did. That whole sequence yeah. is so undercut that it I was waiting for it to kick in and then it never kicked in and I still felt that way at, at rewatch. I I get what you're saying with that music, but I'm going to tell you I'll have to see that part again on the rewatch because that scene like um she is doing fucking Kiki Lane is doing some amazing 
jaw acting like <laughs> like no i'm serious like there's there's just like a tension of the jaw and she's cut in profile like she's she's being shot in profile and her jaw just like tenses up and you can see it just being like uh, like a psych up moment and it was so mild and so understated and it worked so fucking well for me because of that so i was i don't even remember <laughs> the music from that point because i was just sitting there kind of goggling at her right and she does she she turns in a very good performance in that spot and you know she she definitely has moments i didn't want to like say you know something too negative up top because i don't want it to to sound like i'm saying that she doesn't have the goods i just am am preaching caution in my brain of where things could go from here and i hope that you know, she definitely has the work ethic for it because all the things that I uh, listened to and read, like everybody was so impressed because she, like you said, if Beale Street could talk and these dramas that she's been in doesn't speak to her being in a role like this, but kudos to her for training with Charlize, taking to it very easily, and then obviously showing the chops in the film itself. That's a lot to take on yeah. to kind of being a bigger role and doing the action stuff all at once. So that is uh, an impressive feat. I mean, look, me. she she has the hard part down. I think it's easier to take an incredibly gifted actor and teach them fight choreography if they're even remotely athletic than it is to take a really, really skilled uh fighter or fight choreographer and make them act and i mean you brought up you brought up jean-claude van damme earlier but i mean yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. dude's still making movies so steven seagal but when was the last last fucking time you saw one you know oh never that's what i'm saying like i'll I'll rewatch a blood sport or something there's a new there's a law of diminishing returns that happens there and the thing is you know to your point though you know, not wanting to be too negative, even the negativity that I think you and I are both addressing, these are like fucking quibbles. And that's the thing I have to point out. Like when I'm saying like, could have done without like Dudley, that's, you know, (laughs) yes, it's true. Like would I have liked another actor in there. Yeah. Is there any part about it that takes me out of the movie? Fucking no. Um, It doesn't bother me. Like it's just, it's one of those where it's like, well, in a perfect world, but, but fuck a bunch of that. I'm not trying to nitpick this shit. I'm not trying to be, you know, fucking negative about any of it. Cause again, loved it top to bottom. Just, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll bang out the last bit of negativity I have. And then I want to go straight into, uh, the best of what you liked and myself. So, Sweet. uh, one thing I did again after rewatch, well, one scene that really sticks out is like literally, and that's why I said the editing is so impressive for me to literally have one nitpicky scene to be like, I didn't, I think this is completely unnecessary and then, and mildly confusing and that's it. Like there's literally one scene and it's the store clerk scene where they, you know, you have a store clerk in a, in a, you know, CVS drugstore type place that, not only unabashedly just goes, yep, I'm going to treat your wounds. I'm going to, you know, let you, you know, hang out in our back room. Uh, I don't know you. I'm just going to do this. And oh, by the way, it totally looks like, you know, not only that she knows exactly what she's doing to field dress a wound from a, a fight of that intensity, that giant gaping shoulder wound, but also 
uh, looked like she was the only employee in the store. So I'm like, uh, what's going on? Like you just shut the whole place down. I was more concerned for commerce than I was concerning myself about the scene. So that is literally the only nitpick scene that I had in like the whole thing that just didn't work. But I have many, many that were good. Did you have anything like that, or do you have any? No, not too much. And I, you know, here's the thing about that scene because. I did feel maybe it was slightly incongruous, but I was also thinking in terms of if there was any other movie in this genre, the uh, the betrayed behind enemy lines, don't know who to trust kind of thing, and it was sure. a guy in the lead, that exact same scene would have not only happened, but there would have then been an extended lovemaking scene because, <laughs> of course, there is. You know, I... I um, I saw that scene as being a place where like she's reconnecting. It's like the first place where she actually interacts with a normal human, somebody that's not, that's not a part of her team or is not somebody that she's actively murdering or trying or that is trying to murder her, etc. And I thought it was a, just a scene where she's recognizing that there's kindness and there's good people and, you know, and, and it's also maybe that I am um, being an apologist for what was an incongruous scene, because I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, it just didn't quite, uh, it, didn't, it didn't take me out of anything. To me, it, it did take me out for a moment, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. But, like, basically, my, my thought is that it's, Niall, to me, is basically the character that shows the humanity uh, and trying to bring, you know, Andy back to realizing, you know, what what she's fighting for and, and kind of also bringing her back to a time when she kind of was first starting out, kind of giving yeah. her this jolt that she needed to. I felt so that made this scene not only unbelievable to me <laughs> at, at points, but also superfluous. So that Fair was enough. the only thing. And I don't want to dwell on it too much because there are a lot of best scenes uh, and things upon the rewatch that I liked more mm. that I do want to address. Um, I'll start with the rewatch stuff before we get into like best scenes. To me, I like that they didn't explain the immortality or the significance of Andy's staff. A lot of things that... You know, I didn't maybe like on first watch because I wanted to know more, and and I felt like the audience maybe should have had some of that. But the fact that now I know that things are set up for a sequel, that things are you know we're we're gonna get to know more of this group, we're gonna get to know more of what's going on. I actually appreciated more that they left some things on the table and yeah. didn't just put everything out there because they're. A lot of times you get these movies where you don't get the the beauty. Uh, a lot of people, when they shoot these, they don't know they're going to get a sequel. They have to wait sure. to, for box office returns. They have to wait for these things to tell them that they can get approved to go forward. This movie seems very much conscious of the fact that they know they have more in the tank and they are going to get greenlit to make more. Well, and, and yeah, and that speaks helpful. That speaks what you're talking about, the, the, the how planning, planningful, how planningful they were, you know, and thoughtful in in setting this up. I know, whatever. It's it, fuck it. If it's not a word, it'll be one now. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I dig what you're saying there, and I, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, though, I I don't want them to fucking explain the immortality. I don't care if we get five movies in this franchise. I kind of don't want them to explain it because I don't know that you can give an ex explanation that really 
makes anything better. You know? True. And a lot of times for me, like I'm not I'm not a JJ Abrams mystery box kind of fan by any stretch. I think that's a fucking exercise in frustration. But I do think there's certain elements that when you explain them, it kind of takes all of the fun out of it. Like leaving the realm of possibilities open to me is always a little bit more interesting when the point of the films isn't the like the immortality necessarily, but it's who these people are and kind of what they're doing with it. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely I agree with a lot of those sentiments. Yeah. In fact, because one of my favorite uh, all time TV shows, unfortunately, he's connected obviously to the Lost Universe, so I hope it doesn't turn you off. But The Leftovers on HBO was one of my favorite shows of all time, and they had something where it's an inciting uh, incident where uh, I think it's something like. Uh, a couple percentage points of the human population just vanish. Yeah. And, and they go through three seasons, I believe, uh, and they yep. never explain it, but they always, it's used as an inflection point to kind of philosophically see how it affects people. Yeah. So it's not, it's not used as something we're going to explain later. It's, to show the different levels of human response exactly, and how, and how it will propel people. And I think they do that quite well here where immortality is not something that needs to be explained, but is, is, is something to be uh, shown of how it affects different people. And obviously how it, you're definitely seeing the effects on Booker uh, and how he reacts yep. and, and some of the scenes uh, I'll get to in a moment that I think are really good with that. Uh, and then obviously Andy's now reality and, and the fact that she's lived for so long and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the sense of loss and everything else, you can definitely tell that uh, Rucka wrote this right after his father's death. And there's a lot of unpacking, uh, to kind of see about about life and death and, and loss and dealing with these things. It's and, it's and, a it's and, honestly it's about loneliness. Like the the uh, the through line here is about loneliness and the the difference between Booker and between Nikki and Joe, and and how yeah. they and how they can survive in a much you know and even Andy at a certain point Andy was doing really really well and then she lost everybody and I think right. I think it really is it becomes a, a story about loneliness and how that can affect people which again like really fucking you know the synchronicity between that and kind of like the world we live in right now is interesting to me yeah and and something that I found interesting as well with uh, the director Gina Prince Bytewood when I was listening to an interview with her I didn't know how much of a huge fan she is was however you want to put it uh, of certain of the genre of the comic book film action film genre and how much she appreciated especially in the tone that she wanted to set for this film she definitely looked to uh, Black Panther, of course, because mm-hmm. she kind of thought things changed big time with that film in terms of what sure. you could do with comic book movies. But he, she also said that this movie is influenced by her love for Logan, and you can definitely see the parallels mm. with the thinking here, especially kind of like a person who's been basically unbreakable, immortal yep. for a very long stretch of time, and then suddenly having to deal with the end stage of that without basically explanation just Mm -hmm. kind of like these things just you know it's old age for someone being 
extremely extremely old so yeah. uh you know it's it, so it definitely has a lot of parallels so if you're a logan fan out there and you were on the fence uh, about this film and you've somehow made it this far uh definitely uh there are some tones of that it, just imagine it being you know a little more dramatic a little less graphic in the violence and that but obviously a lot of of the philosophies and messages are definitely coming through uh, with that, I would think. I'm just uh, trying to figure out who this hypothetical person is <laughs> that has sat through the the first like 50 minutes of this conversation, has gotten spoiled on multiple plot points, and is still kind of like, I don't know. And then you're like, well, the director really fucking loved Logan, and the dude's like, fuck it, yes, now I'm in. Okay, <laughs> fine, fine. Quit, totally. quit, quit drilling you struck oil. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my fucking God. Hey, man, people just like the sound of my voice. So I think, you know. That's the whole reason I do this podcast. To go to sleep. Yep, that's it. It's the whole reason I do this podcast is so that I can just like get my 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 ears filled with your, your dulcet tones. <laughs> well, much appreciated, man. Right back at you. Fucking so, rock and roll. So, like I said, those are some of the things that I thought were really good upon the rewatch. Excellent. things that were great right from the snap uh, are probably my favorite scenes in in here. So, obviously, you know, spoilers going for this. First of all, I think the movie hinges. Absolutely. It's it's the before and after the airplane fight. (laughs) And that the airplane fight was the first day of filming for um, for uh, the, the actress who plays Niall. That was yeah. her first thing that they shot her first day on set. No, that's literally the first scene they shot. Yeah, period. that's fucking uh, crazy to me. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, it sets the fucking tone. Sets the tone all the way through. It does. And, yeah. and it really starts their relationship. Uh, and it really uh, starts to flush out the Andy character as well. Yeah. Um, and... and there's so many good things, and I think, that, and that was the that, scene that I said was like the Bechdel test of Krav Maga. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. And, and and to be honest, it's so well done, and I love you know, anything close quarters fighting is so good. But they don't go like extraction level or raid level or daredevil level of like this close quarter <laughs> fight. It's a lot more majestic. Um, and and but yet plausible. It's interesting. I always loved uh, hearing how Charlize took to fight choreography so easily because she was a ballerina. Yeah. Uh, in her prior history, and it makes so much sense with the gracefulness that she has in some of her moves. And Not just the gracefulness, man, but ballerinas are goddamn sandpaper tough. Like oh, the shit yeah. that a ballerina puts their body through is fucking insane like the shit that a fucking ballerina goes through would kill your average like you know oh, yeah. mma guy pretty much like oh, just yeah. unfucking unbelievable endurance yeah it's intense it's an athletic ability yeah that no one can comprehend it's it's insanity but there's like um, a reason they send football players to go take ballet lessons and it's exactly that that grace the balance etc all that stuff yeah, the footwork, that she carries everything. out the footwork yeah and there's yeah. and the, her footwork in this is goddamn amazing and i really thought that they did a good job of giving every character their own style like True. every one of them felt like they were fighting differently and the motivations too i mean and that's one thing you really don't get especially on an ensemble piece of like not only what people are 
pretty good at or what their style is, but also being having enough of a story and enough of a background to really get a sense of what they're fighting for and and how they're going to pull it off. So uh, kudos to them for really doing that because especially if you're going to go forward with these characters, you absolutely need that. And Word. and and especially as a person who loves the X-Men, a lot of the especially initial X-Men movies sometimes seem, you know, pretty disjointed because they're trying to cram so much uh, in terms of characterization and mm-hmm. background uh, on some of these people, that you know, it definitely hurts the film or makes it way too long. I think they did just enough. Like I said, kudos to the editing and the brevity here. Uh, that they did just enough. It it's didn't a bore the audience. It's it a pretty compact cast too for a, a comic book movie. Um, sure. Like when you think about like um, the the comparison that I would come up with is maybe the losers. Um, I don't mm. know if you remember that one. Like that's kind of a similarly like team betrayed, um, you know, from the outside kind of an actioner. But even that, like this, the thing that's interesting about this is no matter where they go, no matter what happens, what part of the world they're in, it feels weirdly intimate. Like it's right. it, it's very much still focused on this little group of people. So even when they're in the middle of like a giant city or whatever, it's like them and then kind of these faceless ciphers. So there's not a lot of people to keep track of it's like just the right amount of actual characters to the point that you legitimately care about every single character like i'm wearing my heart on my sleeve the whole time because i don't want to lose any of these characters you know yeah, and, and i definitely you know for, <clears throat> i know obviously they're serving a greater purpose by trying to save the world but if they had a side hustle i would definitely say if andy especially could have like this guidance to have a reality show that shows you all the nooks and cranny places that she's discovered over the globe over the whole years. Like the fact that especially we're living in COVID. So I want to know like the finest remote destinations that she probably has like little apartments, little cave setups in every little spot that I just want to be like, you know, the cribs of like these little spots that she has stowed away for for thousands of years it seems like do you think uh, yeah. do you think ever in history somebody's just accidentally stumbled across one of her caches and it's been like what the fuck is all this shit be like what yeah. do you mean like like no 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 there's like a browning machine gun there's like three <laughs> tridents um yeah. like there's a, that that's a cutlass like that's a fucking <laughs> cannon over there and then i yeah. think that's a laser gun whose fucking house is this yeah and a classic <laughs> rembrandt in a cave yeah or something you know to top it all off so yeah, <laughs> yeah no there's got to be something i mean if she listed her stuff on airbnb is that the cryogenically that frozen head of walt disney yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the other thing too we should do almost like a like a you know roadside attractions like or like a like a american pickers or <laughs> those type of shows of like her trying to sell her stuff uh you know and seeing the worth of it, you know, <laughs> as she's trying to go into retirement. I think that would oh, be pretty listen, awesome. listen. If you could cross this film over with um um Antiques Roadshow. Antiques Roadshow, thank you. Yeah. Yes. My <laughs> wife would never fucking need another bit of media in her life. Like you would have perfectly that's that's the perfect intersection of things my wife loves. 
honestly would make a great short form for Netflix. So I hope you're listening, Netflix. I am handing you fucking gold. Uh, so, <laughs> so that, like I said, the airplane fight is probably one of the best scenes in the whole film, if not my favorite scene. Probably. I mean, every one of the fight scenes is really, really good. Each one does a completely different thing. Um, and yeah. serves a completely different purpose. And, um, like again, there's like there's a real economy to everything they do in here. I don't know what the budget was on this because it. I, I'm guaranteeing it's smaller than what I think it is because yeah, I'm now that think- I'm thinking back on how they did some of the shit they did. Like, I mean, I think the final like death, which by the way, like I jumped out of my chair for literally, like holy fuck, like yeah. that was probably and the, the most callback ex- to the airplane scene. By the <laughs> yeah, way, yeah, so, I know, right? And that's why I love it even more. Yeah, lots of great callbacks. I love that scene. Um, my personal favorite scene in the movie was um, the uh, homophobia death fan. <laughs> I fucking. I'm, I'm trying to remember that now. Oh so, yeah, 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 yeah. So okay. they've got they've With got the, Joe. They make fun of the couple and they. Have well, they've that, got they've uh, got Joe and Nikki, and they're like, right. first of all, Joe and Nikki are for me the fucking breakout characters of this. I love Charlize and all. They're but great. I would watch a fucking three season show that is just the two of them fucking like hanging around the house on a Sunday and just cooking dinner just like reading the paper talking to each other the fucking chemistry those two (laughs) dudes had was so good and they were just so believable so he's there you know it's it's, he's got this big the guy is like what's it your your boyfriend and then he gives this amazing monologue about how in love with this man he is They, they kiss all the bad guys like grab them and pull them apart. And I, t- I turn to Jen. I'm just like, I really want all those fucking homophobes to die horribly. Next scene, <laughs> back door of the van opens. All the dead homophobes fall out. And I'm like, fucking awesome. This is my favorite movie of all time. That was one no, of my it's favorite an parts. Incredible scene. And, and probably yep. some of the best dialogue that he has when he has to recite that, you know. It's a beautiful uh, scene. And then that guy was oh, yeah. also my, my favorite. Like him. And then the, uh, the fight scene that he has at the end in the office. Um, with the the main henchman, yeah, the that was a fucking great fight scene. Like real quick, real brutal, and then the ending. I was just like, ooh, damn. Yeah, no, for sure. A lot of like you said, a lot of the action stuff definitely, uh, you know, is pulled off really well. I do love the book ending uh, in a sense of the airplane fight and the Merrick death, yep. and then. One of the other, we brought it up a little bit before, the conversation about the toll of immortality uh, mm. between Booker and Niall in the cave yep. uh, hangout that they had, I thought was really good, especially on rewatch, because you definitely, on rewatch, now that you've kind of seen how things play out with Booker, that you really hone in on Booker's actions yeah. as it goes through to really see how they set it up. Uh, I thought they did a great job with him. That's a very thankless role. And I thought they made it very sympathetic. I thought that the final resolution with it was really awesome. And I was very impressed with that. Um, Even before the the end credits, not end credits, um, extra scene. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I, I thought he did a great job. And I thought that they really did something interesting with a character that I think, again, in a lesser movie would have been a little bit more... Again, cartoonish, a little bit more like stereotypically evil. Like you could Very feel true. where this dude's coming from. Yeah, no, it would have been a major heel turn versus like a more plausible heel turn. Yeah, and it's it, you know it's also an interesting film because it's a film where a lot of characters make mistakes. Most of the characters, almost every one of the characters, makes a severe mistake. From um, 
I can't fucking remember his name, the CIA guy. Um, Copley? Copley, yeah. Copley, yeah. you know, huge fucking mistakes. And he owns up to it kind of like, and you know, same thing with Booker, huge mistakes. Like, these are all people that are like, it, it, I just thought it was really interesting in that sense that like, there's nobody, very few of the characters in the film are just one thing or another, which is again, one of the reasons why Merrick stands out so much because the, most of the other characters are showing note. nuance and he's very one note. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. But I wonder if, uh, by the way, cause you brought up Copley, uh, if this film was influenced a little bit by Terminator two, uh, because to me, Copley is kind of like the modern miles Dyson. In a way, Cause he's kind of got like that flawed, but his heart is in the right place trying to, you know, better humanity, but ultimately suffers, you know, kind of a price for for that. Um, obviously not to the end of Miles Dyson, but, you know, it kind of has that ring to it. As That's, far as that like, to me is a weird it. not to tie, but I'm fucking into it. So, yes, yeah. I'm with you. Well, and if you think about it, I mean, Andy kind of has at times kind of Sarah Connor vibes. So I, I thought, right. you know, it kind of works with that, especially the way she dresses and things like that. that it kind of it doesn't have the level of intensity of a Sarah Connor like Linda Hamilton performance. But, you know, and, and to be honest, I thought it could have used a little more intensity this film at times. But, uh, you know, obviously they made a choice. I, yeah. I, I'm not criticizing uh, the choice because of what I want, but I would say, um, you know, I I thought at times uh, it, it could have done that because they kind of ride the line between making Charlize kind of this stoic, mm. uh, beaten down figure and then also kind of being light and airy with some of the scenes too. It kind of goes back and forth. Not on a, on a Marvel level, obviously. No, I think she's got a sense of humor. I just think it's... not campy. I, I think yeah. it's one of those things where like when you've done this so long, when you've lived so long, like it burns out a lot of the joy in a lot of this stuff. That's kind of yeah. like the way I took it. Um, For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then one other uh, best scene is the, the, the Quinn montage uh, that, you know, the whole life cycle. Oh, man, yeah. Andy, that... That ends with the iron coffin. That's drowning. fucking brutal. It's, it's brutal, brutal, but it's fucking a brilliant, scene. really and, well done. Absolutely, uh, like to fucking just keep drowning and dying over and over and going mad is yeah. probably one of the smartest things I've seen uh, in a comic book film in so long. Uh, so kudos to Rucka for that. Um, if that's straight off the page, if that's straight out of his work, holy shit. Uh, I need to read that. I, I would imagine. Listen, the, the I've been have to be more intense. Than I've been movie. told the comic is fucking fantastic. And again, I'm the I'm the 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 potser here for not actually like getting that shit done ahead of time. But uh, when I when I some people I know like a bunch of friends of mine are like yeah we're reading the book in anticipation. I was like shit I haven't read the book yet and I got to watch this shit tonight for a podcast. And they're like it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. all right, I believe you. Um, yeah, I believe. Like I said, Rucka for me, man, it's a dude that he, all killer, no filler. I've never right. read a thing that he's written that hasn't completely kicked my dick in the dirt. It, he's a really, really amazing writer. Cool guy. Like I've seen him on a couple panels. Um, I, I know some folks that know some folks that know him. Like he just seems like a really fucking kind of interesting, smart, fucking kind of grumpy, awesome dude. Yeah, so, I'm into it. No. I and, and kudos, obviously. Like I'll, I'll be sure to uh, try to pay attention. Fucking I haven't night. watched Stumptown, but now I'm kind of. It's fun. Towards trying. It's a to, fun, to it. fun show. Um, very different than the comic, but um, but a lot of fun. Uh, Colby, 
Colby Smolders. It's Kobe, right? Not Colby. Colby. No, it's. All right, well, fucking I think her. It's Colby. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Ms. Ms. Smulders. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Taryn Killam's Mrs., uh, as it turns out. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that, my wife told me that. Who knew? Uh, no, she's fucking great in it. Um, Jake Johnson, who I goddamn love in everything, is in I it just being. In that. Yeah, he's like the, like her sidekick. He's like her buddy. Um, uh, any, uh, any scenes for you that I didn't mention that like are big time for you? Uh, I think we covered a lot of it. Pretty much. I think on the rewatch, it's a lot more is going to pop out to me. <clears throat> I thought the uh, the the final, like I said, the final kill to me. I actually stood up out of my chair, like, "Holy shit! I can't believe they did that." Yeah. Uh, and and the everything, the 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 first part of the escape sequence from the lab, the fight choreography in that, just and like again, totally. just the coordination between these five people as they just take hundreds of human souls uh it was just it just the the way it was thought out you know you watch like a john wick movie and he kills like a guy like three different guys and in, in like two seconds and you're just like whoa but the coordination of having multiple people working together and just having that really tell the story of how long they've been fighting together how well they work together in that scene it was really proof of concept for me right in that one action scene um yeah, fucking great. And also, um, the first time that she fucking pulls out that axe, I was oh, like, yeah. I was, I was done. Because at first, Jenny's like, "Is that a katana on her back?" I'm like, "I don't know. It looks like it." And then she fucking whips it out. It's a, it's an axe. And both Jenny and I were like, "Whoa!" Yeah, I marked yeah. out. I marked out real fucking hard for this movie, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, that is such a striking weapon. Yes, uh, it's such an image, uh, and obviously they used it a lot for the marketing of the film. And to, the, to the extent that if you tag hashtag the old guard on Twitter, it throws yeah. up a fucking axe. Oh yeah. Yep. No, perfect. Because uh, yeah, it is so good, and 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 like I said on first watch, I wanted to know so much about it that I thought it was undersold, and it kind of you know got to me a little bit that i was like ah come on there's not enough of it to me and and for it to be passed around especially go to merrick and and go through that that i wonder there's got to be so much more to this oh yeah and 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 obviously but so you get kind of mad at it in first watch until you realize that this is going to go forward i I didn't even get mad nugget yep i didn't even get mad to me it was just smart storytelling all the way around you know, it, it, the, the, there's great economy to everything that Rucka's doing in here with the screenplay, the way that stuff unfolds, the way that he introduces you to stuff. Like you said, it gets in at just over two hours, like two hours and five minutes. And I, I you know, I don't really don't think there's too much wasted time in there with the possible exception of the, the scene that you cited, um, the, the pharmacy scene. But right. I, I just think they do some really good work with, creating a world and again it leaves you wanting more like i just i don't want to be spoon-fed too much like i kind of want to soak in this for a little while and kind of live in this world discover things the way they discover them yeah for sure one last thing because like i said i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you as a comic book writer because a lot of the reasons i've read online uh, is that like they say that comic book writing and screenplay writing while i agree they are two different skill sets do you find it so odd that it's so rare that comic book writers don't get to kind of have more of a participation and kind of get undersold that they can't adapt a, a reasonable screenplay especially when they know the characters so well you know 
I don't know. For, I, it feels weird for me to talk about this because I'm so low on the food chain. Like, like I'm so far removed from having anybody want anything to do with my shit as a movie that that this yeah. is entirely speculative on my part. <clears throat> I think there's I think there's some writers that don't want to even fucking deal with it. I think there's some writers that are just like I, you know I what? Be, I bet Alan Moore is a number one. <laughs> I yeah, Alan Moore is Alan Moore, man. He's he's living in his own universe. But I'm just saying, yes, like, yes. you know, there's some people I just don't think want to deal with it, and they feel perhaps right or wrong that the the story that they told they told in this particular medium, and then I told this this was my story. If you take it to another medium, it becomes a different story. I'm kind of going to wash my hands with it, and I think that's a wonderful kind of CYA attitude because yeah. you know the historical trajectory of these things has not always been a, uh, a high arc, shall we say? Um, you know, I think there's, I think there's a large portion of folks that have created, there is a while I think where folks were writing comic books as a backdoor screenplay. Like they couldn't figure out how to get their screenplay in front of folks. So they're like, I'll do it as a graphic novel. It's just a storyboard on a page. Like I've heard that shit before. And, and I think that there's dudes that did that and fucking sold their shit, but they can't like, there's a reason why they probably couldn't sell their screenplay. And it's because they couldn't fucking figure out how to write this shit as a screenplay. So, yeah, I remember you you got an idea, but are you really going to be able, like a good idea can make a decent comic, but a decent comic it's a different scale necessarily than investing in a big budget movie. Yeah, I remember the guy who wrote Wanted. Uh, Mark Millar. The, the, Mark Millar. Well, but the, the, the fact that the it Millar was situation. Bruce, so we talked about the yeah. Millar thing, and he signed a, a major deal. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, the kind of the backstory with him is that he writes a lot of stuff to be made. In, like with that in mind of, sure. of making a larger universe for f- selling for films and Marvel, obviously they had like whole departments of combing through the back catalog. Of course. I mean, it's, it's IP go. farms. Mark right. Millar so, though, if I remember correctly, is also a guy that at one point had a pretty serious health crisis. Uh, and as a comic book writer, you do not fucking have health insurance. So yeah. ways of getting health insurance include getting into the writer's guild of America, totally. um, you know, or, um, selling a shitload of your stuff, having some pretty fucking dope movies made out of it. Cause you know, I'm not the biggest fan of wanted in the world, but I fucking love the Kingsman flicks. Oh, I yeah, yeah. love the Kingsman movies. I think they're fucking fantastic. And, yeah. um, you know, some of the stuff that he's got that is coming to, um, coming to TV eventually like Chrononauts and, uh, some of the other stuff. It's great, 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 great stuff. But I mean, I think Mar- Mark Millar is probably one of the smartest fucking guys, out there in comics slash entertainment. Like he's really kind of found that pipeline, but you know, wanted is not a great example because wanted the movie bears almost no resemblance to wanted the comic wanted. The comic is like, what if supervillains were real and like, you just don't know about it because they control the world and it's fucking brutal and really ugly in places. And, and, and he said himself, you can't fucking do this as a movie. It's not going to work as a movie. So, so I don't know, man. I just think it's, I think it's, like I said, with Rucka, I think it's a track record thing. I think when you're investing in a comic, there's a certain amount of budget and you can afford to take some shots. I think when you're trying to put millions and millions and millions and you've got fucking Charlize Theron showing up to do work, you can't fuck around. Rucka, like I said, Rucka's made movies like 
Whiteout was his. Kate Beckinsale, fucking great yep. movie. You know, Stumptown, all that that's happening. Like, Rucka's sold shit. He has written shit. Like, he's in the pipeline. So when he has a really good project like this, and things like Queen and Country, which I'm fucking flabbergasted, hasn't already been adapted 20 times. It's great, great series. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that when he comes up with a good property, now officially has at least a little bit of the oomph to be like, I want to take a pass at this. Yeah. So, and, and I think, and, and again, right guy for the job in this case. The other thing is, I think there's some guys that can't separate themselves from their work. They don't know how to make that adaptation because the argument that writing a comic script and writing a screenplay are very similar is a goddamn fool's argument. They are not. Very different thought processes go into them and you need somebody that can actually think in both directions. Neil Gaiman, guy who can do it. Greg Rucka, guy who can do it. Brian Bendis, guy who can do it. You know, these are guys that have been working in both worlds. Me, well, I, fuck it. I'm, that was that was cut. That that's goddamn embarrassing. That I even brought my name up. <laughs> I even brought my name up in reference to these guys. <clears throat> Mostly, that's just because I don't want to be like this guy can't fucking do it. I don't want to put. I don't want to be a dick to somebody else. But I'm just saying, there's guys that can, yeah. and then there's folks that can't. Um, well, and Whedon is uh, has written the uh, he did the opposite direction, and, and from what I understand, his comic books are actually pretty good. So there's that. Some too. of them are. Some of them aren't. Yeah. Like he's got he's got some good stuff, and then he's got some stuff where it's like oh. This was written by Joss Whedon. So. Right. <laughs> right. Well, like I said, I, I enjoyed the film. I'm excited for the sequel and, and the look forward for that. Fuck yeah. uh, I'm excited that as opposed to like Extraction and Six Underground, I am more excited for this one as a franchise. This one, I, and I don't want to equate the two fully, but... I kind of had the feeling when I left the movie theater for Doctor Strange hmm. um, when because I liked Doctor Strange. I didn't love it, but uh, but the way they ended it, I was more excited for what they were teasing as <laughs> the sequel to Doctor Strange than I was in love with Doctor Strange as a film. I like this movie a little better than Doctor Strange, so I'm looking forward to you know what they have in store. I, I like the concept uh, a lot here, and I definitely think it's better than you know say Atomic Blonde or any of the other uh, Charlize uh, stuff that's currently on deck. I like that she's continuing it on and not getting increasingly tough uh, <laughs> sour grapes over not being a part of the Mad Max going forward that they went backwards and casted somebody younger and kind of retconned uh, her uh, so they could do more. No, um, they're just good. He wanted George Miller wants to tell an origin story. And I, everything I've seen, she's like, yeah, it fucking sucks. Kind of heartbreaking, but it makes sense. Um, no, I like, I'm going to give this a lot more praise than I think you are. Um, Cause, because I think you enjoyed this, but I also feel like some of what you're saying, like you are damning this with faint praise. Um, it's a fucking great flick. No, it's a, I, I it's a, it a it's, I would it, give it an A. It, I would give it a solid... I think this is a solid A. I honestly don't think... I would defy you to name a better comic book movie, you know, that you've seen in the past year. Because I can't think of a better one necessarily that I've seen. No, definitely not in the past year. I mean, also, I mean, Netflix has got to be tickled that, you know, Black Widow keeps getting pushed and pushed. And sure. they get to be the kind of, like, champion here, especially, you know... 
Look, know, this this to me though, this is this is doing stuff that black like yes, it's a female fronted action movie, but it's 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 uh you know lots of lots of people of color. It's lots of LGBTQ. Like like this well, movie it's a is fucking film. this movie is global. Yeah. It's fucking representative. Like you fucking want it to be, um and in a way that's goddamn completely organic. Like. I, you would be hard pressed to. I'm sure there's goddamn man boys out there that are going to bitch about it, but I'm just thinking like this. Yeah, this is I not a movie that. that you can pick apart. Like, oh, it's token represent. Like, fuck, fuck you and fuck that. But no, this movie is beautifully representative in a way that I would love to see more flicks be, and in a way that that feels like I said, just not like oh, we did this because we want to be completely representative. It's just the fucking story they're telling, and I'm I'm here for it. So I loved it. I think people should fucking go see it. Go see it. I think people should sit down and watch it. I say go see it yeah. like you have to fucking go somewhere. <clears throat> By the way, I shouldn't have to say this, but uh, I will say the first time I watched the movie, I watched it on uh, a computer screen, a decent sized computer screen, but not like watching it even, you know, on a nice big flat screen, whatever, like that. Yeah, that was silly. Something. That was silly pants. Yeah. Uh, so second time I watched, I watched it on my actual home television, and it's definitely a different experience and a better experience. I, I was shocked actually how different uh, the feel was for that, uh, you know, from Jump Street. If uh, you, watching the film on a larger screen, I don't feel like me, this is shot for a small screen. If you had told me that this no, was supposed no. to get theatrical release and the COVID fucked it up and they moved it to Netflix, I would a hundred percent have bought into that. Right. No, and it didn't feel like some of these uh, Netflix films where like you could be like, oh, they almost shot it like it's a series and yeah. this is just going to be part one of the series. It, I didn't feel that way either. This was definitely theatrical. It does it not feel crowdfunded. Right yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think this franchise, uh, and hopefully it is, you know, to where we can get multiple films out of it. That, oh, yeah. Uh, that it's in the right hands. I hope it stays in the right hands. Um, you know, obviously, Charlize doesn't fuck around. I, I admire her so much. The, the worst uh, fucking mistake they could make is to change directors. That's the worst fucking thing they could do. Yeah. And I mean, when I listened to the interview with her. Don't fucking do it, Netflix. They said. Well, she's got something else in the pipeline that she hasn't announced yet, so I'm hoping it's not something that's so big that it takes her out of this. But I assume that, you know, this is kind of like a baby for her, I would imagine. She doesn't do so. a lot of films. So, you know, so obviously not. Me, so, yeah, you know, this, this really meant something. Choosy. Yeah, so if, if this meant something because she's a comic book a film fan, a comic yeah. book fan in general, that like, you know, and an action fan and a sports nut, like she likes the intensity. She likes to grab this type of stuff. She's getting an opportunity here uh, to do more with these characters. I hope that that comes to fruition. I hope we don't have to wait too long to get it. Uh, Cause yeah. I do think this will be uh, a pretty good hit for Netflix. I mean, especially in quarantine with none of these other, you know, tenants not going to come out for months. Wonder Woman's not going to come out for months. Black Widow's not going to come out for months. You don't get any kind of version of this. And yeah. if Extraction was a hit for them, I hope this is... This too. deserves to be a monster. This deserves to be a monster because it is... I think it's that good. Yeah, it's a better story than Extraction. The action sequences aren't going to you know, compare, but it doesn't need to. It's not that type of movie. Uh, you don't need to do that. But for when they turn it up, 
it it does do some really good stuff. So oh, yeah. definitely don't want to undersell the action, but I mean it's it's hard to compare with some of the elite action people uh you know between Michael Bay's guys, you know, Extraction and obviously even some of the uh the 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 Asian action films that I adore that they have on the platform as too, which goes fucking crazy. So it's not that type of film. It's more of a of, of a drama, and it's with some really key good action scenes. I definitely recommend uh, checking it out. Uh, if you obviously listen to this, I hope you did check it out because uh, otherwise you'll hate our guts. If you got all the way uh, through this and. Like, like seriously, if you got all the way through this and you're not gonna check it out, why? Yeah. What's wrong with yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. But if you disagree with what Travis and I say, please, you know, hit us, hit either myself or you know the pod or or Travis, because I'm sure uh, you know if you want a better argument, you'll get it from Travis. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to fight. Fucking fight with anybody on Twitter, man. I don't want to fucking fight with you on Twitter. Like if nah, you like if you love, if you liked it if you liked the movie please tell me but uh, if you didn't like it I don't give a fuck I don't give a fuck life's too short <laughs> just celebrate the shit you like don't, don't like unless you get to come on a podcast and talk shit about something with your buddy like I do from time to time then you know we can we can fucking talk about polar for a while yeah it's the real stuff we can fucking talk about let it snow actually <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah we let it. <laughs> <laughs> we let it rain on that. I could have like, fucking dropping bullets on that one. I swear to God, man, I so bummed out that that was part of a three movie episode because I seriously could have fucking gone off on that film for three hours. Could have spent the rest. <laughs> yeah, of, I, I could have spent the rest true, of my Christmas fucking complaining about that movie. And I am not opposed. To it. <laughs> it would have to be completely last minute, but it would not be a bad idea uh, for Mega, who brought it up, uh, and Chad. To do a Christmas in July, I would totally do a Christmas in July. I will a thousand percent do a just, Christmas in July. Yes, Mega, I saw Mega tag me in that. I will a hundred percent do a Christmas in July with you, you well, fucking here, three idiots. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out on the pod so nobody hold it, hold me to it. But my thought process was they've teased uh, some of the titles and descriptions, and I almost want to just run through them with you guys, and we kind of like you know chestnut roast those fucking things to see. You know, what we do and do not like, and then, you know, kind of, and then maybe pick what we'll end up doing in actual Christmas time to, to, I am so on board with this plan. I think we should wait until August so we can call it Christmas in July and August. (laughs) I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it really does. Well, it, I could just see the posters now where I'm like Christmas in July slash out August and it would be fucking perfect. Yeah. There's a little bit of a, a lull with the, the summer schedule, so we'll definitely fit in at some point. Um, but if Something nobody need, has been asking for. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. Just the... the, the Literally just the four of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, hey man, 100, I'm 100% on board. Yeah, there's all things dedicated to Christmas in July. I'm surprised there's not more films that do that. But so... But obviously, a lot more people are going to want more Travis Holyfield after this episode. So please tell the folks uh, where they can get your stuff, uh, because I know a lot of your work is on Comixology, which I've you know pointed people to. I am uh, very happy to have all my hard copies. I don't know if you have any of those still in existence to to sell. I uh, I do need to get my shit together and get a uh, physical 
sell going through my website, which is uh, travismholyfield.com. So um, I will get that shit happening um, one of these fucking days. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, Comixology is great. Uh, you've got Doberman, the Canine Crusader, uh, which is a uh, funny superhero book if you're into sight gags and pie fights and, and uh, people getting hit with mallets, you know, everything that makes life worth living. It's basically 60s Batman meets the tick. And then uh, my nice. five-issue series, Street Clothes. If you dug on this flick, you'd probably dig Greg Rucka comics. If you like Greg Rucka comics, you'll probably fucking dig Street Clothes. It's a, uh, a heist story about an ex-supervillain who gets pulled back in to do that one last big job. So think... Uh, Jessica Jones meets uh, Ocean's Eleven, Reservoir Dogs kind of style. So uh, yeah, you can yeah. Uh, you can find those there. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Travis Holyfield. I'm on Facebook uh, Travis M Holyfield. So I'm around. You can find me. Uh, yeah, homespun wisdom Amen. and uh, and and fart jokes. That's that's what I offer up here. <laughs> And it's always welcomed on this platform. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on, sir. It's oh, my brother, I could not possibly uh, have had more fun. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. And I'm gr- I'm so glad when I saw the trailer for this, it definitely clicked all the boxes of what I know you and your lovely wife uh, enjoy. And I'm glad that you both thoroughly enjoyed this one. And, you know, we absolutely did. I, I hope we get more out of this summer because it's been a real up and down for Netflix. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to hang on and this helps me do it. So appreciate you. I appreciate the old guard and uh, definitely uh, we'll have to do this again real soon. Same buddy. Love you.